Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Rock em, suck em. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. For the first time, I believe, on the Purple Podcast, this is what you're going to hear for road games for the Vikings. Matthew Collar, our uh, new Vikings reporter, 1500ESPN.com, joins me. Ben Gessling, who travels with the team from ESPN.com, he will join us um, in a short while. Judd Zolgad with you. All right, sir, your thoughts. 25-16, it was ugly, it was not, not attractive, it was a lot of things, but the one thing that beat last year's opener in San Francisco... The Vikings got to win. <laughs> yeah, they did. And I, I, the, a couple of different things stick out. I mean, first of all, that Sean Hill got the job done. Mm-hmm. And that's number one front and center for me. I know that the defense is what put up the two touchdowns, and that's the huge thing uh, They actually got them the win. But the fact that Sean Hill was able to effectively manage the game and play well enough without a running game from Adrian Peterson yeah. is, to me, a big story because Mike Zimmer all week – had a tough decision to make. Do you put Sam Bradford right in? Do you throw him right into the fire after he's just getting here from Philadelphia, trying to learn a whole new offense? Or do you go to the veteran backup quarterback and just hope that he can give you enough to squeak out a win and good good, uh, good defensive play? Mm-hmm. And they did. And, and, you know, he doesn't get a lot of help there from Adrian Peterson, but averaging 7.2 yards per attempt, he was able to move the ball just enough to keep the offense on the field, and they ended up splitting the time of possession about 50-50, which without a running game, I think is pretty impressive. And to me, uh, the story of this game, if you look through all the stats, Matt, is this. Three turnovers by the Titans in the second half. Two of them lead directly to defensive touchdowns by the Vikings. And most importantly for Sean Hill, no picks, and the Vikings, even with Peterson playing a lot, not well, 
managed to not fumble the ball. So if you want to find, to me, if you want to find why did the Vikings win this game, it's because they managed, especially in the second half, to force turnovers. But most importantly, Sean Hill did not make any dumb plays. And I think that was the one thing that we talked about all week long. Sean Hill, he can't, if he beats you, if he throws picks, you're dead. If he manages the game wisely, which I think he did, at least you've got a chance to win games like this. Yeah, not only did he not throw any picks, but he also put up a zero in the sacks category and had a nine-yard run. Give Sean Hill... It was painful to watch the poor guy. It looked like me trying to run for nine yards. It was one of the NFL's slowest ever nine-yard gains. Uh, I know the NFL often puts out... How, uh, who the fastest runner was for the week because they tracked them with GPS. Yes. I don't think that's going to be Sean Hill. But the fact that he was sacked zero times, I think not only speaks to the offensive line, which is a big question going into this, but also offensive coordinator, Norv Turner slash Pat Shermer, maybe. Yep. Whoever we want to say is in charge of the offense these days. A lot of three-step drops, getting the ball out quickly, Two open wide receivers. Wide, the wide receivers and Kyle Rudolph, they deserve credit for this game too yep. because he was often throwing to guys in the middle of the field that were open, and they didn't ask too much from Hill. They didn't ask for seven-step drops. They didn't ask for too much complicated, and he was able to just do enough to keep the ball moving. So Diggs, uh, nine targets, seven catches, 103 yards. Rudolph, eight targets, four catches, 65 yards. And and the guy who just, man, continues to impress you, Adam Thielen, five targets, four catches, 54 yards. And the thing with Thielen, too, is he's making catches that in the past few years we've seen guys from the, from this team either not even attempt to try to catch, or if they do, they don't catch them. That, to me, is Thielen made a, uh, I believe, was it a second and long catch, and he almost got the first down, or third third and long. It didn't get the first down, but the point was, these were the type of receptions that you have not seen the Vikings consistently make for a while. Yeah, it was a sliding catch on third and 22, and he got 21, which, by the way, I would have liked to have seen Mike Zimmer go for it there with the way the Vikings defense was playing. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I tend to be, well, you'll get to know this about me. You're a statistical me. guy. I am a f- go for it on fourth down if okay. you're on the other side of the field. Sure. And if you really trust the way your defense is playing, I like it even more. Because if, you, if you've got Marcus Mariota way thrown off, then you should be confident in going for that, especially when it's one yard. Mm-hmm. And even if AP isn't playing that well, you still have one of the best running backs in the league. But so, yes. that being said, Thielen and Rudolph Guys stepping up, and even Cordarrelle Patterson, or Cordero Patterson. Cordero. Cordero Patterson. Made a very nice catch. He made one very nice catch. He did. And had a 61-yard kick return, too. Yep. They got a little bit of everything from everyone else except the running game for Sean Hill. And I think going into this game, that's what we would have said. Hill can give you enough, but you're going to need everybody else to step up. Which leads to the most important question. Is there any doubt in your mind at, I believe it's 735 next Sunday for the first ever game at U.S. Bank Stadium, who the starting quarterback in purple is? Zero doubt. It is Sam Bradford. There's there's no question. I mean, Sean Hill played the just right level of good yeah. today yes. to say, Congratulations, Sean Hill. <laughs> Thank you. Bravo. Now, please go back to your uh, you know, assigned position mm-hmm. on you know holding the clipboard so Sam Bradford can step in. It's a different level of opponent coming in next week. It is the new stadium, which shouldn't play any sort of role, but it's Sean Hill was not so good that anyone will say, 
boy, you got to turn back to him after 400 yards and four touchdowns. And you didn't trade a first round and potentially fourth round pick for a guy who's not going to play in week two, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And I also think part of this too, or at least it should be, is the Vikings designing an offense or tweaking their offense to fit for Sam Bradford. And, you know, a lot of what Sean Hill did today, mm-hmm. I think would also work for Sam Bradford. I mean, I, I don't think Sam Bradford and Teddy Bridgewater are exactly the same quarterback, but I do think getting the ball out pretty quickly is going to be a key. That sure, if, yes. if they were planning on having Teddy Bridgewater yes. drop way back and, you know, look for passes deep down the field, that with Sam Bradford, it doesn't need to be that this way. Is not, this is no longer what we would ever consider a Norv Turner offense. Yeah, that's right. Right, this because is, normally uh, this it's is, deep balls. This is skewing way more West Coast. But see, see, Matt, the thing I've been saying all preseason was if you watch these guys in practices, they were going with Bridgewater in that direction. Their quarterback skill sets, Hill, Bridgewater, Br- uh, Bradford now, I think are all skill sets that skew more West Coast. And the one... Mike Zimmer's got a lot of good qualities, but one of my favorite qualities is, and this comes from his dad, and he's talked about it a lot before, is he's never going to look at his players and say, fit my systems. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how I do things. And so what Zimmer said his dad taught him was, I look at my players and I say, how can I coach to your to your strengths? So if you if you allow Norm to say, but you know, but Mike in Dallas with Aikman, we did this. Mike basically says, oh, that doesn't matter. This is not Dallas with Troy. This is this is the Vikings with Bridgewater or Hill or Bradford. So I give him credit for that. Yeah, and I went back and watched a lot of uh, Sam Bradford's film from last year for a piece that I did for the website called "How Good Is Sam Bradford?" And one of the things Which that did I did really well, by the way. Yeah, well, thank C- you. Congratulations! I, I, it got mashed by people who are very curious. Appreciate that uh, because there are two camps on Sam Bradford. There are people who think that he's a number one overall pick bust, and then there are people who think that he's a good quarterback that has never had the opportunity to have a great running game, which we'll see if the Vikings still have, and other wide receivers that are good. And I I think what, at very least, the Vikings showed today in their game was these wide receivers are going to help out their quarterback, which in the past, or at least last year, was really not the case. Mm Mm-hmm. But And they aren't, and the most important thing is what they've done is they've accumulated a group of receivers who I think are very good, or some of them are very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. None are really probably truly deep threats, but that's okay as long as you're not trying to force things. I've always felt that the Vikings get in trouble a lot of times when they've tried to force things. But if you say to yourself, okay, Thielen and Diggs and, and Johnson and guys like that are threats from, you know, take your pick. 10 to 15, 20 yards. Mm -hmm. That's fine. It's when you say, well, let's try and throw the deep ball. What was your your level of concern and or takeaway from something that you brought up earlier on this podcast? Adrian Peterson, 31 uh, yards on 19 rushing attempts. I counted at least five or six times where he lost yards. Knowing, however, that if you go back, the last time you'll find Adrian Peterson rushed for 100 yards in a season opener, you have to go back to 2009 Mm. at Cleveland. He has not had a 100-yard rushing performance in a season opener for that long. Yeah, one of the things is I have always been pro stars sitting out preseason. Don't get hurt. Don't play preseason. You and Mackey. But I wonder. I do wonder now, I mean, this is total hindsight, mm-hmm. if Adrian Peterson could have used a little bit of a tune-up. But I, I'm not going to question that decision too much because of his age. But I am going to look at his age and say, 
how much longer can Adrian Peterson be a really good quarterback, uh, sorry, running back, because he's already beaten the age curve here. Most running backs of his caliber and his prime yes. are done by age 27 or 28. That. Statistically, it's just there. Yep. You go at, at around the age of 30, there is a cliff, and you go off it. What Adrian Peterson accomplished statistically in 2015 is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's the thing that Phil and I always talk about is, is there just going to come a year? Because Adrian will never, ever, ever want to lessen the workload or will say, you know what, I have lost a step. So the question becomes, when is that year going to come? Now, now we could have sat here, Matthew, and had this exact same conversation after the horrific opener in San Francisco a year ago, right. where I believe he carried about nine times for 31 yards or something like that. So so certainly there's a lot of time to watch this play out. But the Peterson, that question, that nagging question is always there, which is, is there just going to come a day where this marvelous runner, basically, because he can't really catch passes, mm-hmm. he can't really block that well, where it's just going to lose enough of that step, it's going to catch up to him. Which, as an aside, you hope that Jarek McKinnon gets to 100% fast because he didn't play much today yeah. and he was on the injury report all week. And last year he was averaging over five yards a carry. And I, I think you might transition into using him more if Peterson continues to struggle beyond this game. It's impossible to say from this game whether this is the year he falls off oh, the cliff. but Entirely impossible, yes. But I, I do know this, though, from reading a, a very interesting article by Football Perspective about running backs falling off, it's – you don't know when it's going to happen. Right. That all the guys, the greats, the Curtis Martin, your Emmett Smith, they'll have a great year before, and everyone will be saying, well, "I guess he still got it." And, and it can then happen mid season too, right? right. And I then think he just doesn't. It just happens. So how do we know? We really don't. But this wasn't promising. I would say one thing to his credit: mm-hmm. Tennessee, their entire week had to have been stop AP, stop AP, stop AP. It, it had to have been. With them, if they were thinking Tron Hill was going to start or a Sam Bradford who doesn't know the offense, sure. they were clearly loading up eight men in the box. We're going to shut him down. Sure. And, I mean, maybe you could say if they get a passing game going with Sam Bradford that it will open up some things for Adrian Peterson. In fairness, uh, and, and I know that you're going to have to go back and watch the film now, but in fairness, do you expect to see that the uh, the run blocking was not great? Because I did think the pass protection was good, but in your mind, are you going to see that potentially that the lanes weren't there? There was a uh, play early in the game, Chris Spielman pointed out uh, on the Fox broadcast, where he definitely said Peterson had a lane to his right and he didn't see it. But I am curious what the run protection is going to look like when you go back and watch it on the film. This might be my biggest criticism of NFL broadcasts. I mean, they are a spectacle in themselves, right? But very rarely do they show you what the real story was on plays. It's, you know, they go with the the basic narrative of what they know and they talk about the star players. But they don't show even many angles or really talk about. Actually, that the Spielman thing was kind of refreshing. Hey, look, he missed a a clear running lane here. And it was a very simple thing. But intriguing. But yeah, but you don't see it very often, and they never went back to it throughout the game, whether he was missing lanes. I thought there were a few plays he was, and there were a few plays where he took the ball and was just down as, med- as soon as he got it. Sure. So I'm gonna. that's one of those things where I'm going to have to find out. But I'm willing to say I'm not going to decide today that they won't have a great running game this year because they will have a more competent quarterback, a more expansive passing offense going forward, 
and we will see if he's missing lanes or if he doesn't have the same burst. Of course, you're new here, so you don't realize yet that if Sam Bradford starts against the Packers and the Vikings lose, we are <laughs> we are going to get the faction of Viking fans saying, why did you go away from Sean Hill, Mike Zimmer? What are you doing? Sean Hill won a game. Well, so don't, don't put the controversy necessarily to bed yet. We very much have to see if Bradford does start in Week 2, which I agree with you. I think he will. But we very much have to see what transpires at that point. I don't think at any point this season there should be a reasonable quarterback controversy, even if Sam Bradford struggles. Last year, his first couple of games were not all that good with Philadelphia. Yep. And then if you look at the second half of last season, he was one of the better quarterbacks in the league from about you know week eight on. Mm-hmm. And it might just take a little while to ramp up to being Sam Bradford, which will decide how good that is. Do you realize that you just attempted to use the word reasonable with <laughs> anything to do with well, the National Football League? Very quick story before we get to Ben Gessling. Yes. Um, it, I grew up in Buffalo. That's where I came from. Yeah, you've seen some bad teams. There's yes. a faction of the fans who've been around for a really long time uh-huh. who believe they should have played Frank Reich in the Super Bowls. Of course there are. So there's a, This is why you can so, no longer apply, right. you can't apply the word right. quarterback starting controversy <laughs> right. with reasonable because calm heads will never ultimately prevail completely at least. I agree. Andy Carlson here for the Purple for the Win podcast, dedicated to the pain and pleasure that is the Minnesota Vikings and baby. 1500 ESPN has seen it fit to bring us into the sphere this year, so we'll be doing three shows a week, talking Vikings, have a car wash of fantastic guests, talk a at length about the backup tight end situation. And remember, everyone's middle name is Jerome. It's going to be a lot of fun or terrible. It'll be one of the two. Get it on the 1500 and Podcast One app or on iTunes or at purplefTW.com. Let's go. All right, Zolgad, a caller, and now Ben Gessling, who witnessed today's Vikings game in Tennessee. Vikings uh, win their opener. 25 to 16. Greetings and uh, Ben Gessling. I am willing to bet that uh, right now Rick Spielman and uh, and Zim are making phone calls to potential kicking candidates. Am I right? I don't. Oh. I don't know. I, I'm not sure that you are. I mean, at least based on what Mike Zimmer said after the game, they are sticking by Blair Wallace. Now, of course, he has to say that. <laughs> but I could see this. I will say this. I could see this getting to a point where if this keeps up. We we know Mike Zimmer is not a guy that's terribly patient with guys that make mistakes, the same mistakes over and over and over. And if this continues to be an issue for Blair Walsh going forward, they are going to have to address it. I mean, he he talked today about how he's still our guy and all of that. But at some point here, if this becomes something that costs you points and costs you chances to put games away, and it certainly did today, you have to look at it. I mean, it, it was it was something today where if you – even if you give him a pass on the first one, or on the 56-yarder, if, if he makes the first one and he makes the extra point, then you basically have made this a two-score game, and it's not an issue much sooner than it it got out of hand. So, I mean, it was something that that they're going to have to look at in the future. Yeah, I keep thinking, though, how long is the rope going to be? I mean, I thought that as soon as he missed the 37-yarder, like, how how long will it go on? I mean, if there is some inconsistency even next week, is that when you start making phone calls? Are you doing it already? Or did hitting the 50-yarder save Blair Walsh's job? Or do we just make too much of these things in a very small sample? I mean, we're talking about 
one shanked kick that maybe most kickers make and then a 56 yarder. Like if we didn't know what happened last year at the end of last season and what a mind warp that can be to miss such a crucial field goal in the playoffs, we would probably be saying, all right, well, you know, he shanked that first one and then he got it figured out for the most part outside of an extra point after that. And we should just kind of see how this goes. But I'm wondering in your opinion, Ben, how long would you let it play out? Well, I, I, if it's me, I probably would think about it sooner than later. But I, knowing them and knowing what they think of Blair Walsh and what they like to do with guys that they sort of have picked as their guys, and, and Blair Walsh certainly is in that camp. I just, I don't, I don't think they're going to move on it before they have to. I mean, Blair Walsh was a guy that Rick Spielman scouted, Rick Spielman drafted, that Mike Prefer scouted and argued for. He's a guy they gave a contract extension to, and, and the guys that they do that with are guys that they sort of say, here are our guys. Now, I will say, Darius Wright was one of those guys, too, and Darius Wright was deactivated today. So that does tell you that some of this stuff can, can shift a little quicker than you think. But, you know, Jeff Locke is another guy that, that still has a job and has not had any competition at a point where a lot of us have probably sat there and said, they probably should bring in somebody to push him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a little different with a kicker because you have plays that, that directly cost you points and, and can cost you games. But I do think the rope is going to be a little longer with Blair Walsh than than it might seem like it should or, or you know, that it might be at other positions or with other guys. Did Walsh speak post game? He did. Um, how's he doing? He, I mean, what? I said, how, how's he doing? Kids are, you know... I'm not sure if there's grade school kids around the Twin Cities again getting it set to send them cards to make him feel better. <laughs> How are we going to make Blair feel okay about today's day? Well, Judd, apparently it's our fault. Uh, apparently oh. apparently we bring the drama. Yes. That, that was one of the things he said after the game today. I mean, he did hold himself accountable to it. Um, you know, He said he, he the first miss bothered him more than the other ones. He thought he probably on the, on the long one was trying to kill it. And I, and I think you know anybody who's said the uh, a tee box on a, on a golf course probably knows what that feels like. And he said the wide left, he, he thought he maybe came through a little bit early. And he, he was frustrated with himself and said, I got to be better than that. I know I'm better than that. But at one point he goes, uh, he said, you want to take the drama out of the game. You, you don't want it to be that close. But then he said something like, well, most of the drama starts with you guys, to be honest, you know, you guys in the media. And I get it. We're always here to kick, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I I guess, you know, I, I wanted to make that field goal against the Seahawks. It was really cold. You know, you just, in those moments, you just get nervous. And, you know, I, I'm, I just missed it. I mean, you know, we all did, apparently. All of us in the media had a chance to make that field goal to beat the Seahawks, and we didn't. And then, you know, you go from there. So, I mean, we, we start the drama by missing those kicks in games, I, I guess. Well, I, I will say, though, if you're going to talk about the range of media members for kicking field goals, 27 is probably about as far as uh, most of us could take one, right? Could you, Ben, do you think you could make an extra point or a 20-something-yard field goal? Have you ever tried? He's not paid millions I, of dollars to make it. I have I have tried it, uh, just goofing around with friends. My issue is usually that, I, I mean, I can, I usually hit a line drive. So, no, I would, I would shank it under the crossbar. I'm not saying that I would make it. But to, to sit there and say, you guys bring most of the drama. It's like, well, okay. I mean, I, you know, we're always here to, to be the whipping boy. I get that. But, um, you know, after the, after the loss, Kevin Seifert was there. 
writing a fairly impassioned defense of Blair Walsh, saying yep. he cares about this. It, it was a situation that he wanted to make the kick, and, and it's not something that you need to sit there and beat him up for. And then, you know, obviously when he, he met with the, the first grade class, we were all there to, uh, to chronicle that as well. So Their fault. It, it's a they caused the drama. Snot-nosed yeah, it's kids. Convenient, it's a convenient thing to say. I, and it's, it was a throwaway line. It was probably kind of silly. But um, it, it, it's kind of like, all right, if we're, uh, if we're trying to set the record straight here, let's, let's remember how all of the coverage after last year's playoff miss was, I, I would say, fairly sympathetic uh, in the wake of that game. Yeah, well, anyway, as much as I would like to talk more about how far you or I could kick field goals, um, one of the storylines for today that stuck out to me, leading up to the game, there were a lot of questions to Mike Zimmer about Tennessee's renewed running talent, getting DeMarco Murray, drafting Derrick Henry, and then you know, 29-yard reception right off the bat for Derrick Henry. And I think every one of us went, oh, wow, he looks really good. And then he ends the game with five carries for three yards. And as a team, Tennessee... 2.9 yards per attempt. Ben, I I just thought it, of all the storylines that will go throughout this game, the defensive touchdowns, Sean Hill being decent and managing the game, Adrian Peterson not rushing, the one that might get shoved to the side a little is just how much they shut down a Tennessee rushing game that was supposed to be much better this year. Well, and it was a rushing game that really controlled things in the first quarter. I mean, the, the Titans had the ball for, for like nine minutes in the first two drives, and it looked like it was going to maybe be one of those games where the Vikings have had some trouble stopping the run, and you thought maybe it was going to be one of those days where if it didn't help the Titans pull away, it at least would put it in a situation where they controlled the clock and, and didn't allow you to get back in it. And this certainly is not a Vikings team that's built to score quickly, especially with Sean Hill. So, I mean, yeah, in the first quarter I thought, okay, they're, they're running the ball somewhat effectively, and you know, DeMarco Murray had a couple nice runs there. And then Marks Mariota, I certainly thought, added some wrinkles that the Vikings had trouble with in the first half. But what Mike Zimmer said after the game was that the Titans were doing a lot of, of shifting and a lot of motion and a lot of you know kind of exotic sets. They had the wildcat snap. They had the, the kind of the odd fake where Marcus Mariota held the ball for a second and then tried to, to pitch it to, to DeMarco Murray, I think it was, and they ran some read option stuff. And, mm-hmm. and Mike Zimmer said, yeah, we prepared for all that, but a lot of it sort of threw you off when you're sitting there trying to counter every one of their chess moves. And he said, you know, second half, let's just go do what we do and let's play our, our calls and, and play our keys and, and we'll go from there. And I, I think that really kind of got guys back on track. And the, the thing with this coaching staff that's always really impressed me is how good they are at making adjustments in the second half. They are not a group that seems to sit there for an entire game looking for answers and, and being unable to find them. I think the thing that you really like about them is they are capable, certainly on defense, are capable of, of going in and saying, okay, what is this team doing to us? What do we need to fix? And then they're able to, to fix it pretty quickly. I, I think you know those of us who have been around long enough to, to think back to Leslie Frazier, Brad Childress, those kinds of things, I don't always remember seeing the same levels of adjustments that you get from these guys. Aside, boys, from the fact that Peterson did not have a good day, to me, though, what we saw today against the Titans, this is this is the blueprint, right? I mean, this yeah. is if it's not going to be pretty, and at times, at times there's going to be struggles. But take Peterson's bad day out, and I think offensively, I'm not surprised. I, I think they got in the red zone three times again and went 0 for 3, and if your kicker has a good day, you're absolutely fine. You're not great. 
But the other part of the blueprint is what? The defense. The defense scoring 14 points or 13, I guess, to me, is an absolute non-surprise. Because if you had asked us, okay, at the start of the year, the Vikings are going to win games how? I think if you take out Peterson's day, the formula for this win is basically what we all would have basically said is key to how the Vikings win games. Yeah, and we can't sit here and count on them to score two touchdowns every week. That's Agreed, not yeah. realistic. And I don't think that's what you're saying, but... Yes, this defense is going to have to carry them more than it was going to have to before because they don't have the quarterback situation set. I thought, yeah, and I thought the offensive line was was concerning as well today. I mean, Sean Hill was under some pressure at times. The bigger issue I thought was how many times Adrian Peterson was sitting there with a defender in his face, and he was probably dancing a little too much. There, you know, he said after the game they, he thought there were a couple of runs that when he goes back and looks at them, he'll he should have done something different. I, I thought he was dancing a little bit, as, as we saw him do in the opener last year when he didn't play the entire preseason. And, uh, you know, he certainly had some of those, but I thought there were also times where he had a guy in his face either at the line of scrimmage or shortly beyond it. I mean, the line has to be better than it was today there. And I also think that you have to get to a point where you have a, a quarterback that can connect with more of his receivers. I thought Sean Hill and, and Charles Johnson just looked out of sync all day. Um, you know, Stephon Diggs had a nice game, and Kyle Rudolph made some nice catches. I mean, you've got to fix a lot of those things. But having a defense that you can lean on when you need to have stops, when you need to create turnovers, is such an important part of it. And you see what happens on the other side. Drew Brees throws for 420 yards and four touchdowns, and the Saints lose. I mean, a defense can help you in ways that a quarterback sometimes can't and vice versa. And you got to have all of it, and they – at least have the one piece right now to help them stay afloat while they're figuring out the quarterback. You know, I only I know it's been one game here, um, but how are you looking at the weapons that Sam Bradford is going to adopt when he takes over this offense next week? I'm going to say it definitively next week when he takes over the offense because I thought Diggs was tremendous today. I mean, 14 yards per reception, the big 33-yard catch down the sideline that – it was already almost put away, but really completely puts away the game by being able to tack on another field goal there. And he showed all the different things that he can do, catching it short. He uh, may have even run a little bit, you know, and, and then caught a deep ball as well. And then uh, Rudolph had a pretty good day outside of, you know, the ball bouncing off his head the one time. But other than that, I mean, they, I, I felt like even Cordero Patterson makes a nice catch at one point. Comparing what he had last year, uh, in terms of weapons in Philadelphia to Minnesota, I think he's going to be better off this year than he was last season. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think you have to get to a point where you know who your quarterback is going to be. I mean, Mike Zimmer said today it's going to be a week-to-week thing. I'm with you. I I think you're at a point where, uh, you know, Sean Hill did some nice things. He made a couple nice throws. But there is a ceiling on what you can do with Sean Hill in terms of being able to go down the field and being able to score quickly. If Sam Bradford's ready to go, if, if you feel like he can run the offense, I would put him out there and let's let's get going with this process here because I think he eventually is going to be the guy. When he gets in there, yeah, I mean, Stephon Diggs I thought had a great day. Uh, you know, He did a lot of the things that we saw from him early last year where he's able to, to, to make a catch and, and make some plays after the catch and, and make some runs after the catch. He did that very well at the beginning of last year before people started to, to key on him a little bit more. And, and Kyle Rudolph, you know, obviously has a couple nice catches there in the second half during the comeback that they had to have to keep drives going. Uh, Charles Johnson, I didn't see have a great day. I mean, he, he looked out of sync. He stumbled a couple times. 
didn't look like he was gaining a, a ton of separation from from corners. So you worry about that a little. I did not see. I did you guys see Laquan Treadwell at all on no. the field today? I I, can't I didn't see him a once. Time seeing it. Um, How can you not know. mention Thielen? Your well, boy, I mean, yeah, my guy. I mean, yeah, come on, thing. he was fantastic today. Well, and that's that's why you see Jerry is right deactivated. Is that Adam Thielen okay. has moved up to the point now where he's their third receiver. I mean, you saw it today that that he is going to be a big part of this offense, and, and he looks like he certainly is capable of being the guy. I mean, you know, it really. I mean, I I would be remiss if I didn't point out that all three of my Mister Mankato picks, 2014, oh. 2015, 2016. <laughs> were active today, and two of them certainly played a big part in this win. You so, you know, if they him. want to give me a game ball, I, you know, they know where to find me. I, I, Thanks, Ben Spielman. Appreciate that plug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, though, didn't play a whole lot today. He was on the injury report a lot this week. Uh, you know, to me, I was looking at him as a part of the offense this year that would be a nice little side weapon for yeah. whomever was playing quarterback, and he gets one carry, a nice carry, six yards, and one catch, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, I think we will see more of him as as we go along. I think it's one of those things where if Adrian Peterson is doing more, then you can probably make McKinnon a little bit more effective change of pace to Peterson or possibly on the field at the same time where you got to worry about both of those guys. I mean, you know, they, they're going to be able to do some things. We saw the jet sweep that they tried at one point, and you know, they'll try to get on the ball as a receiver probably a little bit more often, too. You know, I think um, that is going to be something that we're going to see more of him as we go. I mean, I think he will be a bigger part of this offense in, in the coming weeks. I certainly think we will see him against the Packers because he seems like the type of player the Packers probably will have some trouble with. So, I mean, it'll be, I think, you know, you'll see him kind of come and go at different times. It'll be Some weeks will be a bigger part of the game plan than others. But, uh, you know, I guess I, I'm not too worried about that one yet, and I think, his foot probably was was bothering him a little, and uh, you know we'll, we'll see how that develops. But yeah, certainly I think he's going to be a guy that's involved. Am I correct in saying just from the eye test that I want to say that uh, I saw Adrian Peterson on about a grand total of one third down? He definitely didn't play at the in the two minute drill at the end of the first half. McKinnon played. Asiata yep. got more playing time. I thought, in fact, he got an entire series in the second half. But I want to say just from observation that I don't think I saw Peterson on third down more than once or twice, probably. He was not in there much. And I thought, I mean, the one time I noticed him in pass protection, he actually had a nice blitz pickup. I mean, you know, we, we criticized Adrian Peterson for that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any times today where he was out of place there. And, and there was one spot where he definitely got in the way and stood up to a pass rusher and basically stopped his progress. So, I mean, that was a good thing to see. I, I don't know that. I mean, the, the Adrian Peterson evolution as a pass catcher that we keep talking about, that we keep saying, are we going to see this? Are we going to see this? I, I don't see it happening. It's I mean, not going to happen. I, ben, I, I can I, tell I you right now, he didn't without... turn around. He was throwing two balls today, and I think on both cases he basically didn't turn around in time. Well, It's okay. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. And the, uh, the, the the shifting quarterbacks probably don't help make any of this easier. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, I I, I noticed that, too. Uh, Matt Asiata certainly was in there on third downs. Yeah, actually, I think the first third down, they, they went right to him. And, you know, for a guy that, that really doesn't, you know, do anything terribly exciting, he still has a role. I mean, I, I think on that kickoff return that Cordell Patterson had, i got to go back and watch it, but I, I expect that he probably was instrumental in opening that big hole Cordell Patterson had down the left sideline on the, the 61-yard kickoff return. I mean, that was that was one of those things where, 
Matt Asiata finds ways to, to contribute. They're not necessarily the flashiest, but there's a reason he's still around. Give me, uh, give me an update on what I believe, gentlemen, might be the most concerning thing to happen in Tennessee today, and it did not happen while the clock was actually going. It happened pregame. Xavier Rhodes goes into the game with a hamstring problem that, that he's had, I think, since the since the uh, Seahawks game. Uh, but Mike Zimmer then in the postgame press conference said that Rhodes was held out because he heard or felt a pop in his knee in pregame. What's the update there? Because to me, Trey Wayne's, I didn't think he was great, but he certainly was not a train wreck, so to speak. But if you take away that depth starting with Rhodes in week one, that's not a good thing. Yeah, I would agree. That That's the big one to watch here. And, and Rhodes seemed to be walking around without any trouble in the locker room after the game, which is a good sign. But, yeah, I mean, when you when you hear, I heard something pop in my knee, that's never, I mean, knee and popping are, are never two words you want to be able to put in the same sentence. So, I mean, it, that's going to be one to watch. I mean, Xavier Rhodes has been a guy that had a lot of kind of nagging things, whether it's been, ankles or hamstrings or you know knee issues like this i mean hopefully for his sake it's just a, a little thing i mean right. because that is one that you are going to need to not be an issue very quickly here i mean marcus mariota you, you shut him down in the second half today that's great but the challenge gets noticeably tougher starting next week and that's going to be one of those and rogers what are you talking about yeah a little I mean, a, come on know, it's just it's just rogers class. Well, from the highlights I saw, I didn't see much of that game, but I, I did see the one throw where he has a guy hanging on his back and he still throws a like a 28-yard touchdown to, yeah. I don't know who, Devontae Adams, I think, caught it. I mean, it was, it was one of those Rodgers plays where you're like, whoa, I'm not sure how you really deal with that. But, you know, it, it is going to be one of those things where as much as the Titans threw at Trey Waynes today, if he is the starting right cornerback next week against the Packers, the Packers are going to come after him a lot, I would expect, and they're going to test him. And and if you know Mackenzie Alexander ends up out there at, the, at some point, it's going to be the same thing. I mean, those guys are going to get baptized very quickly if they end up playing. And you hope Xavier Rhodes is there because when Xavier Rhodes is matched up with Jordy Nelson, he's done a really nice job on it. Mm-hmm. I remember two years ago when Nelson uh, was in there for that game. I think it was in November at TCF. Rhodes basically shut him down, and he was physical with him the whole day, threw off timing with Rodgers, and that was in the middle of probably Jordy Nelson's best season in the NFL. And, and Rhodes, I thought, really kind of set the template for dealing with the Packers' offense the rest of that year. They, you know, they played a lot of two-man that day, so they had Rhodes playing man coverage, and then you know, probably would have been Munderland at the time playing man coverage on the other side, and the, and the safeties over the top of it. That really became the template, get physical with the receivers and then put safeties over the top that everybody used on the Packers the rest of that year, and I would expect to see a lot of that next week. Now, you have to have Xavier Rhodes to make all that work, and if he's not healthy, that is certainly going to be one that you watch pretty closely throughout the week. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, Ben. Talk to you. All right, guys. Good luck this week. Bye-bye. That is Ben Gessling, ESPN.com. Before we go... Matthew, any final thoughts about today's Vikings win as we uh, as we gear up towards, I believe it's going to be the Midweek Purple Podcast, which will feature you and Ben Gessling. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And I think with this one, it was just win any way you possibly can with That's your backup league, though, quarterback. Right? 
Yeah, it's. I a, mean, this league is full of bad football games that you try and win. Looking at the next two games, though, yeah, going against the Packers yeah. and Carolina, this was not one where you go, well, we had the backup quarterback, yeah, shrug the shoulders. Right. Now you go into these next two going, can you get one out of two? Right, as opposed to, oh my gosh, we're 0-3. Right, exactly. Which is the fear, you're right. Can you beat Carolina or the, or the Packers, just take one out of two games, and then you're in good shape going for the rest of the season? Mm-hmm. But if you had lost this game against a really subpar opponent, at least that's how the Titans still look, yes, they uh, despite what Dick Stockton said at one point, which was... Boy, this does not look hey. like last year's Titans. Like It looks exactly like last year's Titans. And by the way, Titans. starting, and, and all due respect, Dick Stockton's fantastic. I grew, is, up, I grew up watching Dick Stockton. But starting next week, you get the 7.30 NBC game. You'll have lots of cameras and lots of replays. Because this week one telecast, it felt like watching a little regional baseball game. It's like, I'd like to see that play again from three angles. Well, you can see it once from this really far away camera. So yeah, well, that's I'll why be I'm very happy with I'm looking week. forward to the film. Uh, what I, I'll have a, a couple of things coming, some impact plays that we'll look at, and then, oh, there's our phone. Yeah, that's a podcast. You see, that's what makes it great. We can just hang it up. All right. I love the fact, by the way, that we are sitting here with an old school phone. Yeah. What's next, a pay phone? It's, yeah, that's right. It's if you'd a, like to make a call, please hang up and try again. It's not quite rotary. You're too young for Rotary. No, I mean, I, my grandparents had one. So anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks a lot. I'm 46 but, and I feel 64. But, but that's the way I think you come away from this one is, hey, even if there was some luck involved yep. in getting some turnovers that go back for a touchdown, whatever, you got through the game with Sean Hill. Now it's all about Sam Bradford. He is Matthew Collar. Check out uh, his excellent work, which will include film breakdowns, 1500ESPN.com, of course, out at Winter Park on a daily basis as well. I'm Judd Zolgad. This has been the first uh, purple podcast of the openers. The Vikings beat the Titans. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.